Hello, and thank you for joining us on our Inspire Church podcast. It's our prayer that this message inspire you, that it builds your faith, and that it can help you see how God desires to move in your life. Enjoy the message. Well, I, I want to just share with you for uh, a few minutes this morning a, a thought. Now, this is a, kind of a thought. It's a little backwards, uh, maybe thought, but I just have this thought. What would I do if I were the devil and wanted to stop the gospel from going to the nations of the world? Now, I'm not the devil, okay? Jesus is Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on. We're not afraid of the devil. Hello. The devil would be afraid of an advancing church that believes and in the blood, in the name, and in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. But just as a strategy, just strategically, I was thinking this thought through. What would, he, what, what would be his plan to keep the gospel from going to the nations of the world? So one of the thoughts that I have is this. You know, the devil used to be in heaven, right? I mean, that's what the scriptures teach us. At one time, he was in heaven. So he knows God, and he knows what God's like. And one of the things he knows about God is that God doesn't lie ever. Even though the devil is called the father of lies, God is not a man that he should lie. That's what the scriptures teach us. And so the devil would know that. Now, he wouldn't want you to know it. He would tell you, no, you can't trust him. You can't trust him. But you can. So he would know that. Another thing he would know uh, about God is that every word of God comes to pass. And he would know that every word God has said about the devil, about himself, that's going to come to pass too. How many know the future is bright for you, but it's not so bright for him? Amen. So the devil would know that. And he would also know this, the great commission that Jesus gives us in Matthew 24, 14. He says, go into all the world. He says, preach this gospel to every creature. Come on as a witness to all the nations. And then, and then what does it say? When we do this, when we go into all the world and preach the gospel as a witness to all nations, what happens next? I, I'll give you a hint. It's on the screen. It's on the screen. What happens next? And the end will come. How many think maybe the devil knows that? You can say, yeah. He knows that. And so what would be uh, his thought on that would be, well, let's just don't let the end come. Let's just keep the gospel somehow contained. Let's just keep the gospel somehow on the walls of the local church. Let's just, let's just, you know, let's come up with some strategies and some schemes and uh, you're getting sleepy, you're getting sleepy, you know, that kind of a thing so that we don't do what Jesus told us to do. And that is to go into all the world and preach the gospel so that we don't embrace the great commission as the greatest thing that we could ever be a part of. It's the greatest thing we could ever put our money toward. So the devil would do everything in his power. Don't you think? to keep that from happening. So I just kind of had this, these little thoughts that what strategies might he come up with to keep us from having an outward heart, to keep us from getting the gospel to the, not just our neighbors, but to the nations. What, what kind of strategies might he use? And, and actually maybe would even work and be pretty effective. So I'm just real quickly going to share with you what I thought is about six possible strategies that he might come up with. And um, six is a good devil number, don't you think? Six, six, six. If we had more time, if I had more than 23 minutes, I could go to all 666 of them. Am I weirding you out? Am I spooking you out? Just six. So here's my first strategy, I think, 
that if I was the devil, I might try to implement, and that is this. I think what I would do in the local church today is I would seek to marginalize missions. You know, take it off the main page and put it down in the margin somewhere. You know, take it off the most important thing that we could probably ever do and just get it down there, bury it somewhere in all of the busyness and all of the, you know, all of the uh, uh, lots of activity. And I, I would, I would kind of departmentalize missions. Don't make it the passion of the church. Don't make it the focus of the church. Just make it a little department somewhere. Put it right down there next somewhere to the Women's Quilting Society. Not that there's anything wrong with the Women's Quilting Society. No, I think I would really have every resource in my uh, arsenal to just make it not that big of a thing. Just do all I could to keep it from becoming the first priority of the local church. You know, it's okay to have a missions department, just don't have a missions dynamic. It's okay to have a missions program, just don't have a missions passion. No, no, it's okay to have a missions conscience, just don't have a missions commitment like we're going to be doing here in about 20 minutes, a real commitment so that other people can receive in the nations of the world. No, I, I think I would, I would marginalize missions. And uh, I think if I were the devil, I would probably bear all, all of my resources would come to bear to do that very thing. As a matter of fact, I, I would be very focused with this thought. Keep the main thing from becoming the main thing. For me, if I were the devil, my main thing would be to keep the main thing from becoming the main thing. How many know what Jesus told us to do to go into all of the world? That is the main thing. Come on. Everything we do in church, we don't even need to be in church to do. We praise, we worship, we preach, we proclaim, we fellowship. It's all going to be better in heaven. But the one thing we will never do in heaven is get the gospel to perishing people. That can only be done now. And that is the main thing for the church of Jesus Christ in the earth today. So I would marginalize missions. I think the second thing I would do is I would do everything in my power to get Christians to focus on this world, not, not the next world. Right here, right now, live for the temporary Live for just right now. Work your whole life. Work hard. Retire. Play a few games of golf. And then go on home to Jesus, you know? But don't think about eternity every day. Don't think about your accountability to God. Don't think about the fact that maybe one day we're going to stand before God. I'm going to stand before him. And I'm going to give him an account of how I lived my life, how I spent my money, and how I used my time. No, no, no. Don't go there. Don't go there. Don't think of that. One of the great Americans in history was a man named Daniel Webster, one of the smartest men in, the, in, America, in American history. You've probably heard of a Webster's Dictionary. Daniel Webster was one time asked, because he was such a great thinker, someone said, what is the greatest thought you have ever had? And Daniel Webster said, my greatest thought is my accountability to God. That's a great thought. But don't think that, you know, if I'm the devil, if I'm the don't go there, don't think that. The apostle Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 18. So we fix our eyes, not on things that are seen, 
but on things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are not seen are eternal. Now, if I were the devil, I would just want everything flashing. I just want everything blinging in front of you so that you would just keep your eyes on what can be seen and not on what is not seen. Thirdly, oh, by the way, am I smiling enough? Carol, my bride of 45 years, tells me sometimes, she says, honey, you don't smile enough. She said, sometimes you look like you're, you know, mad. I said, no, baby, I'm not mad. I'm just passionate. All right, smile. Okay, smile break is over. Here we go. I'm joking. Thirdly, if I were the devil, you know what? I think I would come up with a plan and a strategy that would teach that the purpose of prosperity is to see how many toys I can buy and how many things I can accumulate while I'm alive. Shop till you drop. Buy till you die. Spin to the end. That would be my philosophy. As a matter of fact, about every four months, I would come out with new fashion just so that what you bought four months ago is out of fashion right now. I would get Christians to love earthly treasures more than heavenly treasures. I would get them to believe that the temporal investment in things is more important than eternal investment in souls. I would see to it that the major focus of money, especially in the Western church where we do have money, I would see to it that the major focus of that money is just how much stuff we can get. Let's get our two cars and our three-car garages, and then let's go rent little units other, so we can put all of our stuff in there, man. And yet Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19, do not store up, do not, don't do this. Jesus is saying, do not do this, all right? Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. How many know Jesus said don't do that? How many know you'd have to be a theologian to make that say something else? Because that's what it says. He says, but do this. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then he said, oh, I love this next one. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Sometimes I've had people say to me through the years, well, Jack, you know, I, that's all great with that missions, you know, all that. But I just don't really have a missions heart. And I think I can fix you in like two minutes. Really? Yeah, you want a missions heart? No problem. Two minutes. Give me two minutes and you'll have a missions heart. All right. Pull out your checkbook. Pull out your credit card. Oh, that was right on cue, mate. And let's just write a check to, those, to that beautiful couple down there in Africa who are trying to help those children. Or let's just help that brother over there in Cambodia. Come on, let's just put some money. Because here's the deal. Where your treasure is, guess what happens to your heart? You can direct your heart. You say, I just don't have a heart for that. No problem. Where you spend your money, your heart will go. Amen? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. John Wesley said, you know what? It's just as wrong to store up treasure on earth as it is to do anything else Jesus told us not to do. An old missionary told me years ago, he said, young man, 
You are accountable to God for the excess and the surplus that is in your life. Truth be known, we don't own anything. We're just stewards. We're not owners. What do we own? Honestly, we come into the world, we don't own anything. And when we go out of the world, I've done a lot of funerals, but I've never seen, you know, vast loads of stuff come to the funeral. You know, we don't own anything. We just steward everything. Roy Smith said, every possession is a trust. I know this might be a little hard for us in the Western world because God has blessed us so much. But what happens when the blessings of God become the distractions in our life? God doesn't mean to bless us to distract us. He means to bless us, to empower us, to be a blessing to others, other places. Jesus said in Luke chapter 12 and verse 15, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. That's a good word for us, isn't it? And how many know there's lots of kinds of greed? All kinds. There's all kinds of greed. He says, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. I told the story this morning about this wealthy, very wealthy old gentleman, 84 years old, who just happened to marry a 24-year-old model. And he had this thought in his mind, I wonder if she married me for my money. No, 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 no. He said that. No, just, I, I rebuke that thought. No, that's not the, you know, but every now and then, every now and then, you know, he would look at her and she just, she was so pretty and she had those beautiful collagen lips and she just, you know, and, and every now and then when he would look at her, he would say, I wonder, I wonder, and then he thought, I'm going to put this to rest right now. And he walked up to her and he said, baby, he said, if I lost all my money, would you still love me? Oh, she pouted. Of course I would still love you if you lost all your money. And I would miss you as well. <laughs> Fourthly, <laughs> help him, Lord, help him. Fourthly, if I were the devil, I would make sure that the great commission became the great omission in our generation. Instead of go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. You know what I, I, I would teach a more popular, more palatable doctrine. I would preach, stay at home, build beautiful facilities, and teach yourselves over and over and over again to be his disciples. Oswald J. Smith said, why should anybody hear the gospel twice? before everybody has heard the gospel once. Yeah, this would be a good strategy for me if I were the enemy. And I would try to take away any sense of urgency that the church might feel for perishing people. I have a quote that is pretty much formed my life in a lot of ways that I read years ago. I've, this, this quote has changed me. And it's a quote by the great missionary Robert Moffat. And Robert Moffat said this, you have all of eternity to celebrate your victories, but you have one short hour to win them. Think of that. When I read that quote, I went out and bought an hourglass and put it in my office. And I, turned that, I have turned that hourglass over a thousand times, no word of a lie. And I've turned that hourglass over, you know, the sand starts running through it. 
And I quote Robert Moffat. I say, Jack, here's the deal, son. You have all of eternity to celebrate your victories, but you have one short hour to win them. You know, the Bible says a thousand years is like a day to God. Have you ever read that? A thousand years is like a day to God. Well, if you do that formula, a thousand to a day, and apply that same formula to a man's life, here's what you're going to find out. A 70-year-old man gets 57 minutes. That's all we're here, family. This is the temporal. This is not the eternal. We're not in heaven yet. This is the temporal. This isn't the game. This is kind of like the tryouts, you know? This isn't the movie. This is kind of like the preview, you know? You have all of eternity to celebrate your, 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 uh, your, your victories, but only one hour to win them. And so if a 1,000 years is like it, we got 57 minutes. I don't know about you. I do know about you. But I don't know if you know about you. But here's what I know about you and me. Our hour is running out. Our hour is running out. And man, whatever it is that we're going to do for church, come on, Inspire. You are an inspiration. Whatever we're going to do as a church, we need to be getting about it right now because the hour, our hour, is running out. Number, where am I? <laughs> Number, is it fifthly? Oh, I was going to tell you about... Um, um, Messing with people's schedules and time, that's what I would do with the devil. I'd try to get priorities to not seem like priorities. And things that really aren't priorities, I'd try to get them to be priorities. As a matter of fact, I think that would be my easiest job if I were the devil. It's kind of like I heard the story of this woman who went to the grand final. And she sat there, with, she, she had two seats. One of them was empty, and she sat there all by herself. Watched the whole amazing grand final in two of the best seats. And the, finally, the guy behind her said, I know it's none of my business. I shouldn't be asking this. But why in the world has one of the best seats here sat here empty. She said, oh, look, that seat belonged to my husband, but he passed. He passed away. Oh, he said, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. She said, he said, but why isn't, you know, a relative uh, sitting in it? She said, beats me. They all insisted on going to his funeral. <laughs> it would be easy to mess up people's priorities. That's all I'm trying to say with that little story. Fifthly, if I were the devil... I would encourage Christians that all they really need to do is just pray for the harvest. That's all. When that is not all, but that's what I would convince them. Because I would know that praying for a harvest that is already ripe is much less effective than praying for the laborers to go forth and to reap that harvest. As a matter of fact, Jesus never taught us to pray for the harvest. He taught us to pray for laborers to go and to give into the harvest. He, he, he taught us, he said, pray that the Lord of the harvest, what is that, that's, um, uh, is it Luke 10:2? He says, pray that the Lord of the harvest will send forth laborers into the harvest. That word send forth is the word ekbalo, and it means to th almost throw them into the harvest. It means to put, push them. It's a strong, almost violent word that the Lord of the harvest would get us up. Yes, let's get on our knees. Amen. I believe in prayer. I'm passionate about prayer. But at some point, let's get up off our knees and let's get on our feet and let's get the gospel to a lost and perishing world. Nobody gets saved without the gospel. We can pray all day, but until somebody hears the gospel, nobody is going to get saved. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel is the power to deliver the nations. 
but it has no power to deliver the nations until it is delivered to the nations. Amen. Amen. Workers, goers, givers, generous people, people with a heart for others, people who do not live under themselves, but people who live bigger than that, better than that. And then finally, somebody said, oh, thank God for finally. <laughs> finally, if I were the devil, I would also have this strategy. And that is, I would want Christians to know, especially Pentecostal Christians, I would especially, because those guys have a potential of being really dangerous, like really dangerous. And so I would want Christians to know that the Holy Spirit has been given to them to bless them. That's why the Holy Spirit was given, to bless them. And I would see to it that there is a bless me focus in the church. You know, bless me, anoint me, appoint me, prosper me, help me, heal me, deal me, fill me, thrill me, teach me, reach me, enlighten me, build me, encourage me, inspire me, saturate me, satisfy me, satiate me, appease me, please me, give me, grant me, grace me, hallelujah for me. Okay, that's enough of me talking about me. Why don't you talk about me? You see, if I were the devil, I would not want Christians to know that the Holy Spirit has been given not only, come on, I love the Holy Spirit, not only to bless me, but to empower me to fulfill the great commission in my lifetime. He's given me the Holy Spirit that I would have the power, the power to be a witness unto him in, in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the furthest parts of the earth. Jesus said in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, but you shall receive when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But how many know the Holy Spirit wasn't just given for our enjoyment, but for our employment? And you know, the word here, witness, is the, is the Greek word martis. The Holy Spirit will give us the power to be martis, martyrs, that we would have the power to die to ourselves that we would have the power to give beyond ourselves, to go beyond ourselves, to do what is not natural for us to do, that the Holy Spirit would empower us to get the gospel to perishing people all over the world. Well, there you go. That's the strategies I think I would come up with if I were the devil. And they've worked pretty good. Those strategies have been fairly effective in different places. But I gotta say before I close, the devil is in a real big trouble right now. He's in a heap of trouble. His time is so short right now. Brother, there's never been a church in the earth like the church that exists right now in this day and in this generation. Honestly, I've watched with my own eyes in the last couple of decades, harvest happen. Harvest is happening. Harvest all over the earth, harvest is happening. Harvest is happening. Do you realize that in the, in the 20th century, the gospel went to Africa? In 1901 and by 1999, over 50% of the continent of Africa converted to the Lord Jesus Christ. That is unprecedented. That has never happened before. It is harvest. The church of Jesus Christ is no longer falling for the lies and the deceptions and the strategies of the enemy. The church of Jesus is rising today with a passion for him. 
You know, Jesus told us to go into all the world. And then Jesus said, and if you love me, you will obey me. Can I tell you, that is my entire missiology. That is my entire theology for missions. Here it is. Jesus told us to go. And Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. You just passed the Jack Haynes School of Missiology right there. Because that's all I know about missions. This is what he commanded us to do. This is what he told us to do. And he said, now if you love me, you will do it. You will do it. And I'm telling you, there is a church in the earth today that loves him. There is a church in the earth today that gives and that goes. Right now, every seven weeks in Latin America, a million people are being born again. It is unprecedented all over Latin America. Half of many of the nations right now in, in South America are already Christian. Think of what's happened in Papua New Guinea just in our time, just in our lifetime, or South Korea, and let alone China. And God, we pray for China today. But the revival that is sweeping China, nothing like it has ever been seen before in the history of the world. Missiologists will tell you that 35,000 Chinese people a day are being born again, a million a month. But the latest statistic I just read on a missions website said this, in China, right now, as I speak, for every baby that's born in that largest population on earth, for every baby that's born in China, nine Chinese are born again. In other words, the conversion rate in China right now is nine times the birth rate. And that same statistic is true right now in Cambodia. And I saw on the screen how you're sowing into Cambodia right now, right today in Cambodia. For every Cambodian baby that's born, nine Cambodians are born again. Come on, family. This is our day. This is our time. This is what the Church of Jesus Christ is all about. We see the finish line for the first time in the history of the world. The finish line is in sight. This gospel will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. It's happening. It's happening. And in a few minutes, we are going to be a part of it happening as we receive this wonderful giving of ourselves. The Holy Spirit was given to us to empower us to give ourselves up. And let's do it in just a moment. Thanks again for joining us. If you have any questions or simply for more information regarding Inspire Church, visit us at inspirechurch.com. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram. It's our prayer that you live inspired by the Word of God and more alive in Him than ever before. Until next time.